Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. So how many of you have memorized Psalm 27, verse 1? Let me see a show of hands. How many do you think? A lot. Yay. All right. I, I did hear that it was in the upper room on Thursday, I think, was the scripture reading. God wants you people to learn this verse. Psalm 27, verse 1. But first, we're going to read from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and 37. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Hmm. A woman in the city who was a sinner brought an alabaster jar of ointment. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. So, of course, if we want to have any understanding at all of the text in chapter 7, we have to back up to chapter 6 because context always matters. Scripture helps us interpret Scripture. So we read in chapter 7 that the disciples of John the Baptist, messengers of John the Baptist, have heard, of course, as has John the Baptist, about the things that Jesus is doing. And so some of his followers are sent as messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one we've been waiting for all this time? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus responded responded by telling them, Well, look at what you've seen me do. And what have you heard me say? Those are things that should give you a clue as to whether or not I'm the Messiah. And then he makes this almost cryptic comment. He says, in essence, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. He says, in other words, the blind can see, the lame walk. I've raised people from the dead and blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Well, then the messengers leave to go back to John the Baptist. And so Jesus goes on to discuss with the people who remain and he tells them in essence, Juliatized, I know what people are saying. He says, you know, you can't win for losing. Now, that's not technically in there, but it ought to be because we know what that means, don't we? You can't win for losing, he says. Look, John the Baptist ate no bread, he drank no wine, and people said he has a demon. I eat bread, and I drink wine, and they say I'm a glutton and a drunkard. 
and they accuse me of dining with tax collectors and sinners. You can't win for losing. So this is the context into which we now understand that Jesus has an encounter at the home of a Pharisee. And I am particularly caught by that message. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Hmm. My mother is from Minden. You've heard me say that before. It is something she is quite proud of. We all in the family are proud to have her come from Minden. Some of you even knew my grandfather, Speck Holland, and my grandmother, Eva. She was a friend of Virginia Lasky's, as a matter of fact. My father, of course, is from Iowa. One of the things my father did not get when my mom and dad got married was Southern hospitality because he wasn't from the South. And so the very first time they were driving in Louisiana and a hearse passed them on the other way and my father did not pull over to the side of the road and stop until the hearse and all the cars drove by. The first time he made that mistake and dare I say the only time he made that mistake, she smacked him. What do you mean? There are just some things that in the South we know. Ways in which we make hospitality hospitality tangible. So for instance, if someone were to come to your home or if you were to go to somewhere else's home, let's say you're going somewhere for the first time, you've not been to this person's home for dinner before, it would be customary in the South, the first time you go to someone's home for dinner, you're going to take a gift. It needn't be extravagant, but in the South, it would be assumed you would take a hostess gift. If someone has driven a ways to get to your home before getting there for a meal or even just to spend the night or spend time, if they've driven a number of hours to get there, the first thing you're going to say after you hug them or greet them is to show them where the restroom is. And speaking of hugging and kissing, I know there are people out there who don't like to be hugged. I am not one of those people. I think most of us, again, painting with a large, big brush, most of us in the South, especially women, when we greet other people we've known, or when we feel a connection to a new friend, frequently when we say hello or goodbye, we will hug. They don't do that in Colorado or Connecticut. I know because I have daughters in both places. They don't do that. One of the worst times I ever had arriving at a church was when we went to a church where the pastor before me hated to be hugged. And so I'm standing there as people go through the, you know, the line after worship, Sunday after Sunday, and this went on about six weeks. Not one person hugged me. And you know, you don't want to hug someone who doesn't want it, so you're trying to give the signal like, I'm open to a hug, do you want me to hug you? Nothing. That's just not right. (laughs) This was in the South. So I just had to stand up in the pulpit. Finally, it had gone too far and said, look, people, I need a hug. And not everybody hugged me, but painting with a broad brush. 
It's just something we do in the South. Well, it is also true that if somebody came to the Double J Ranch, they would immediately be greeted by Duval and Maddie, the, German, the Rottweiler German Shepherd. And if they were greeted, they would likely be licked. So before we eat dinner, where am I going to show them? To, the, to where they can wash their hands. That's just what you do. Well, when we dive into this text today, we would already know the things that people from the South know about us. In the Middle East, there are also a set of behaviors that you just do. That was true in Jesus' day, and many of them are the same today. And so what we're immediately struck with is none of those things are mentioned when we're told that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. Now you'll recall from previous sermons that Pharisees were a sect of Jews, a denomination of Judaism, if you will. Jesus spent quite a lot of time with some of the Pharisees. And so while he's at this particular home, turns out the man's name is Simon, and while he's at Simon's house, we're told that he reclines for dinner. Now, in my mind anyway, this is a banquet. We don't know that, but the text kind of leads us to believe that certainly there were other people around. Now, he reclined for dinner because in Jesus' day, what did you do to eat? You reclined. And you reclined in such a way, maybe on your elbow, but your feet pointed behind you. And so there they were around the banquet table, however many guests, they were chewing the fat, they were chit-chatting, talking about the weather or politics or anything they would normally talk about, when all of a sudden, the woman appeared. She isn't breaking into the home because the home is designed in such a way that she can simply walk right in. And when she gets there, she approaches Jesus and she's standing behind him as we would expect because his feet are facing her. And then she takes his feet and begins to weep. She doesn't have a basin of water at Simon's house with which to bathe his feet. And so she's moved with compassion towards him and gratitude and love and bathes his feet with her tears. And then she doesn't have a clean cloth with which to dry his feet. And certainly I'm guessing by the nature of her dress that her dress is not clean enough for her to use her dress to dry his feet. Now, we don't know exactly what occupation this woman in the city holds, but we are certainly not surprised that they're not saying she's a woman of the city as a compliment. I suspect that we might say she makes her living on the street. We don't know that. But again, whatever she does, it was not a compliment. And so she uses not a cloth to dry his feet, but instead she uses the unthinkable. She takes her hair in such an intimate gesture and she lovingly wipes his feet with her hair. 
And then, as if that were not enough, she begins to kiss his feet, and she continues to kiss his feet. And Simon, leaning over to someone else who's at the banquet, says, if he were the prophet he claims to be, he'd know exactly what kind of a sinner this woman is. And of course, the irony is that Jesus knows not only what she is, but he knows exactly what Simon is thinking and saying. And so he says to Simon, let me ask you this, Simon. And he says it in such a way, let me tell you something. It's as though Jesus is clapping his hands to get his attention and saying, look, this is really important. Jesus says, if there were two people, one man who owed a year's salary but could not pay it, and the other who only owed a month's salary but could not pay it, and each was forgiven the debt completely, which one would be more grateful? And Simon said, well, the one who owed a year's salary And Jesus said, you have spoken rightly. And then in a way that really hits this home, he says to Simon, he said, this woman came in here. You have not provided any of the normal hospitable actions. You offered me no basin of water to wash my dusty feet. You didn't offer me a towel to dry my cleansed feet. You didn't even greet me with a kiss when I walked through the door. But she has not stopped kissing me. She's still kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head. She's anointed my feet. She's touched my feet. How much more intimate can you be? And humbled Because those who have much forgiven love much in return. Hmm. It seems to me that this woman and Simon teach us a tremendous amount. And some would argue that what we're supposed to address in this text and particularly focus upon is the love that Jesus had for the woman and how much he forgave her. Or maybe even the fact that Jesus went to the Pharisee's house knowing the Pharisee was incorrect in his understanding of what it meant to be godly. But Jesus, of course, went to the Pharisee's house and he went to dinner with both the Pharisee and the woman of the city. But I don't think that's ultimately the point for me today. She, to me, is the unlikely hero and stands in sharp contrast to Simon, not because of how much Jesus forgave her as opposed to how much Jesus forgave him. But to me, what is so humbling about this text and why she is an unlikely hero is because of the way they respond to Jesus. 
Simon is determined to have Jesus categorize the people who are there and to categorize her as less deserving of his forgiveness and love, as less worthy of God's grace. But two, Simon also clearly means to give Jesus something. He's showing some measure of respect. He gives God the minimum. He invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. He bestows upon Jesus just enough. He acknowledges him as teacher. He even calls him such. He welcomes him into his home. He gathers other people around him and he provides him with a meal. You might say that Simon doesn't reject Jesus, but he only gives to Jesus just so. We might say it's as though Simon comes to church on Sunday and occasionally he brings something to the potluck. But the woman, this nameless woman of the streets, she risks humiliation and embarrassment to give completely to Jesus because she understands that he is the source of her life. He is the source of her forgiveness. He is the source of everything she holds dear. Because she understands that, she's not content with giving him only a modicum of praise and attention. She's not content with simply acknowledging that he is savior. She's not content with simply showing up once a week. She is moved to give him her all. And what she had was the alabaster ointment. What she had was the ability and willingness to risk her reputation, to walk in among a group of people you know were going to talk badly about her. That wasn't the first time she's been called a woman of the city. It's not the first time the people in the religious community have pointed their fingers at her, but she risked it because she knew Jesus was worthy of that. This woman is a hero for me because there are times in life when I want to give God the least I have to offer. And is it just me? I know know I'm saying it really fast, but I really want to know. Is it just me? Sometimes it's easy to go on autopilot or to be exhausted and to say, Lord, I want to give you just enough this week for you to know that I know you're there. But Jesus asks us for so much more. Not to earn his love, but because we already have it. Jesus asks us to take a huge step and to put our faith into action in tangible ways and to reject the temptation only to love the people we believe worthy of it, only to serve Jesus by offering ourselves in service to the people we think deserve it. We have a God who forgives us. 
Now, we probably in this room don't have a story quite as dramatic. We might, some of you might, we might have a story as dramatic as this woman, but I suspect we don't. But at the end of the day, we would never be able to stand in the fullness of God's presence without the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We would never be able to stand in the presence and the fullness of God's grace without the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So the question isn't what do we do to earn it? The question is knowing that you're loved and forgiven, are we full on in? Really? And if you've noticed a theme to my sermon series of late, you might say, woman, you've been preaching about that for weeks now, that God asks something of us, courage, strength, service, and most especially, witness. You might say, we get it. But let me tell you why I've been harping on it. Because studies show, as you've heard me say before, studies show that the average Christian feels comfortable saying the word God, but not the name of Jesus. And the average Christ follower only discusses Jesus with people who already know him. What good does that do the kingdom? And many of us struggle to get out of our comfort zone to offer God fully. We risk embarrass, we don't want to risk embarrassment. We don't want to risk anything to be radically loving of Jesus as he asks us to be. And that means saying his name and living as people who are loved and forgiven completely. Simon? City woman, which one are you? And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.